On News Nation, as Republicans are making a major move against the head of the Department of Homeland Security, is Alejandro Mayorkas a step closer to being impeached? But is the southern border a step closer to becoming safer? The plea today from the president and how Republicans are responding coming up. Plus, how is the commander in chief going to respond to a drone strike that killed American troops? What he said from the White House today, we ask our panel, what did you hear? And did you see the response on social media to Elmo? The post is more than 100 million views and what it says right now about the country and the mood throughout. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Scott Bolden, former D.C. Democratic Party chairman, Ashley Davis, former George W. Bush White House official, Michael Starr Hopkins is a Democratic strategist, Hogan Gidley, of course, former Trump White House Deputy Press Secretary, and Sean Spicer, former Trump White House Press Secretary, News Nation contributor, <laughs> hanging out with us. Hello, Sean. Nice to have you. Come on in. The Hill on News Nation starts right how now. Many, how many press secretaries? the top from the hill here on news nation you are looking live right now at the united states capitol where the republican-led house homeland security committee is still meeting in anticipation of a vote to move articles of impeachment forward against the head of the department of homeland security alejandro mayorkas he has willfully and systematically refused to comply with the laws passed by congress and breached the trust of congress and the american people the results have been catastrophic. The sham impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas is a baseless political stunt by extreme mega Republicans. Now, Republicans are pushing two different charges. They say Mayorkas engaged in systemic refusal to comply with the law and breached the public trust. A full House vote could come at any point here later, uh, or for the committee vote later this evening, full House vote next week. But remember, it's not even known if they have all the votes that are needed. And... Democrats control the Senate. Now, that is the very same body that is working with Mayorkas and the White House on a possible bipartisan border deal. President Biden today called for action. I've done all I can do. Give me the power. I've asked for the very day I got it off. Give me the border control. Give me the people, give me the people, the judges. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work less. But that, too, like Mayorkas' impeachment, is likely going nowhere. Hello to you all. Nice to have you on in. Um, so there's lots of headlines, little action. Hogan, is this impeachment worth it for House Republicans? Because we don't even know if they have the votes. In that. Yeah, I don't know if they have the votes, but I do think it's important to bring this issue to bear for so many in this country who thought it was just kind of sequestered to the border states. Now that you see what strain these illegal aliens are putting on healthcare systems in local communities, on first responders, on um, education uh, and school facilities, it's a real issue. And more than that, this is serious because the decisions this administration has has made uh, have left Americans dead and have left the people coming across the border in grave danger and grave peril that they had never seen before. So, Ashley, you were the first employee ever at, at the Department of Homeland Security. Michael Chertoff, a Republican who used to ran, run that uh, department, said this isn't right. A Republican. Do you, are, do you take issue with what Hogan said well, or no, what House Republicans what are doing? I think what he's saying, what, what um, the secretary said, former secretary said, was that 
this is at the feet of the president. It's not necessarily the DHS secretary, Department of Homeland Security secretary, but it's actually President Biden's policies. But I, yeah. I want to just flag this once again as what he's being impeached for, which is going nowhere, and we all know that whether it passes the House or not, it's more of a political issue. Same as probably the Senate bill is not going anywhere. But the impeachment, if you read it, it is about him not enforcing the current laws. So President Biden can tell us all day long that you know that he, he can't stop the border because all of a sudden the Senate Republicans are stopping it. It's because they he because his administration is not enforcing you don't, the laws. You don't, you don't someone, think this guy's done a good job? Have well, you? I, I think both two you? things can be true. I think this can be a political stunt by Republicans, and this can also be a political and humanitarian disaster for Democrats. What we're seeing is Republicans ship undocumented immigrants to Democratic cities, which I actually now think is proving to be a problem for Democrats because in some ways this is starting to look like Democrats, as Hogan and I were talking about off-air in a situation where it looks like we love diversity until it's in our backyard. We love these undocumented immigrants until they're in our backyards. Yeah, and I worry. Yeah, but what are the Republicans going to do about this border crisis? Or is it just a political stunt? I'm convinced because they're killing a bill that hasn't even come out. It's a bipartisan bill that gives the Republicans everything they say they want. The power to shut down, the power to uh, secure the border, stop fentanyl. And when given the opportunity... The Republicans will say well, not, well, not everything. But Well, well it's, a, it's, a it's a bipartisan bill by some of the most conservative Republicans in Congress, and yet they're rejecting it. It definitively tells me and should tell America. Republicans don't care real, about real, the real quickly. If I may... The Republicans don't care about the border because if they did, they wouldn't be in, they wouldn't be uh, trying to impeach the secretary. But, but more importantly, they wouldn't be they, they'd be accepting this bill and give the power to the president. Hogan, Sean, you said you don't care about the border. Real quick, care less this about is it. this is a crisis that has been created by the executive branch, and the executive branch is now throwing its hands up and saying we need a congressional solution. Exactly. That is absolutely ridiculous. And for him to say, I, Joe Biden to say, I, I have done all I can do. That's not true because the previous administration did what it needed to do to secure the border and protect the American people. And I love how Democrats are always quick to talk about the power of the pen and the phone, but all of a sudden they've lost both and the phone's disconnected. It's very confusing. Sean, is this purely messaging from House Republicans? You're the, you're the, the messaging expert. I mean, is, is, this, is this the road they should be going down with Mayorkas? Absolutely. It's a huge winner. I think most people recognize uh, not just the immigration aspect of this, but really the fentanyl aspect that's affecting so many communities, as well as the, the safety security issue. We've let over 160 people who are on the terrorist watch list in. There was a guy on a video that, from, uh, that, that went viral the other day saying, I'm smart enough, you'll still know who I am, clearly making a threat against our country. And now apparently we're tracking him down. But just to the to get to the nut of impeachment, I hate to sound like an eight year old, but they started it when they politicized <laughs> the impeachment process by going after this president twice. This is what happens. So I get it that at the end of the day, whether or not he's it's a high crime and misdemeanor, they started it. And this is what they're getting now. So okay. he's going to get impeached. It highlights an issue and and, and it well deserved. So some perspective now from Capitol Hill. Both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans. For you at home, judge what you hear from both sides. Come on in, Republican Senator from Alabama, Tommy Tuberville. Thank you for being with us here on the Hill on News Nation. Appreciate the time, sir. Um, Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, Senator Tuberville, why do you think he should be impeached? 
well, he hadn't done his job. He's, uh, I've been in several arguments with him in the last three years, and it was their decision, this administration's decision, when they got into office, would just open up the borders and let as many people in as they possibly could. Uh, they just they defanged ICE, our uh, immigration police. They don't even have a job anymore. I, I don't even know what they do, but the Border Patrol's basically been secretaries at the, at the border. They've not done anything. Uh, this administration and Mayorkas shouldn't be in peace. They should be locked up with what they've done to the American people. This is a disgrace. Uh, their job is to keep the citizens of this country safe. Who should safe. be locked up? I keep hearing Biden say, yeah, hey, hey give me no, the, who? anybody that's got anything to do with my workers should be locked up. President Biden should be locked up because they're doing this intentionally to the American people. It's costing billions of dollars. We're having the fentanyl come across the border. It is an absolute joke of what they've done. I've been down there several times, and it is an, and, and it's it's uh, something that you 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 would think that hey they're not doing this on uh, on purpose. Something's got to be wrong, but it's not. And I hear Biden say, well, just give me the laws. The guy's been up here 50 years. Uh, surely to goodness he knows what the law is. The law is so do you think, don't let you people think, come across their borders. You think President Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas have committed crimes? Oh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, there's no doubt. That, go by the law. You know, that's what we do. We create laws. And they said, well, we need a new uh, uh, border bill. And we're up here working on it, some Republicans, some Democrats. We don't need a new bill. Just go by the laws we got. Uh, the laws we have, you can close the border down right now, but they don't want to do that. They want the, the borders to be open. They're killing people every day with all these drugs, the human trafficking. It's, it's an absolute disaster at the border. I feel sorry for the people in Texas, but Governor Abbott's doing it right. He's shutting it down himself. Uh, nobody's going to help him, but uh, he's shutting it down, and he's going to take a lot of grief for it. Uh, but you know, it's you talk what about it is. That- he's protecting his people. You talk about the border bill, um, Senator James, James Langford, Republican Oklahoma, your colleague, uh, Senator Tupperville, is trying to negotiate a deal in good faith with uh, Senate Republicans, uh, the White House, and even Alejandro Mayorkas. Um, Rick Scott, a Republican from Florida, called that a quote-unquote suicide mission. Is that what this is? Yeah, well, it's tough. And James Langford's taking on something that's going to be very, very hard to, to accomplish by himself. Uh, he's worked hard at it. Uh, but the problem is it took three years and a month to get the White House to come and even talk about it. Three years and a month. You think that's a little bit late? They're late to the dance. They're a day late and dollar short. It's their fault. It's going to be hung over their heads during this election coming up. And that's the reason they're going to get run out of town. Senator Tommy Tuberville from the state of Alabama. We got to leave it there, sir. Thank you for the time. Appreciate you being here on the Hill. Thank you. Yep. So that's a Republican voice, Republican from Alabama. Now to the other house and the other side of the aisle. Democratic Congressman from Maryland, Glenn Ivey, a member of the House Homeland Security Committee, the committee that is going forward with the potential impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas joins us live. Uh, Congressman, thanks for being with us here on the Hill. Your response to Tommy Tuberville, Tuberville would be what? I mean, it's almost hard to know where to start with, with what he just said. I mean, House Republicans aren't even alleging that anybody in the Biden administration should be locked up or there are any kind of criminal violations or anything like that. So. I don't know where he's getting his information from, but he's totally misinformed. With respect to the hearing that's actually taking place here, I think the point that we've been making is that nobody's talking about high crimes and misdemeanors. Nobody's talking about bribery or treason 
Nobody's talking about the actual constitutional standard that's supposed to govern an impeachment proceeding. And that's because they don't have the law or the facts to back it up. So that's one of the things I've been trying to emphasize in the hearing. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, finish your thought. Uh, One of the things I've been trying to emphasize is that the Supreme Court, this is the Trump Supreme Court in an eight-to-one decision in the United States v. Texas, is basically contradicting the basis of all of these articles of impeachment. What they're saying is that they have prosecutorial discretion. And so when the articles come in and say that they have been willfully violating these laws because they're not enforcing them, the Supreme Court says, look, they don't have the resources to enforce all of them. Uh, and nobody has in the past 27 years, which is why Mike Chertoff came in and said they shouldn't impeach uh, Mayorkas either. So you can't do it on those grounds, but they're still going to go forward anyway. Congressman, President Biden is famous for saying the following. My father had an expression, don't tell me what you value, show me your budget, and I'll tell you what you value. So we went back and looked at the budgets, Congressman. Uh, Fiscal year 2022, there is not a single reference of the southern border in President Biden's budget. In 2023, the southern border was referenced in just a few paragraphs. And then in the budget in 2024, the administration started to take it on. Wasn't it a mistake, Congressman, if that's, if, if that's what you value, the budget, it shows what you value, wasn't it a mistake for the president not to address the budget earlier, the, the border rather earlier? Yeah, I thought that actually the uh, funding was coming through. Uh, I don't know if he sent it in his budget or not, but with respect to the appropriations process, we just went through an argument actually where you guys were saying in the room that they were trying to increase it. Uh, And I do remember in the markup we just had a few months ago that it was the Democrats pushing to increase the numbers so we could pay for things like more Border Patrol, more judges and the like. And it's definitely in the current budget that that the the Biden administration submitted. No one's arguing that Democrats, Congressman, uh, and the president didn't take this issue seriously within the last six months to a year or so, but it was in the budget. The president, there was no mention of it when he took over at the White House. No, you make it sound like there was no funding for the Homeland Security Department, which is not true. And it's definitely true that there was, according to the Republicans on the committee, there was fun. In fact, some of them are saying it's not even a budgetary problem. It's just a policy issue, which I think is completely wrong. But we have to do more funding to get more Border Patrol agents, more judges to hear these cases. Some of the things we were talking about in the markup from last year, H.R. 2, we need drones to counteract the drones that the cartels have. We need all sorts of things like that, the, the scanners that they use for the trucks that are coming through. We had one when I went to the border. We have six portals that needed them and they were working effectively. Okay. We need to get the funding for those kinds of things, and we were calling for that last year, so I, I'm not clear on what you're, what you're saying there. And my, rec- my recollection is that the Homeland Security supported those calls, no too, one's, no one's as doubting, the Border Patrol that they agents weren't, when we met with them. Yeah, to, to be clear, I'm not saying that they weren't funding DHS. The point that I'm making is that it was barely mentioned in the border, and the administration just started to ramp it up. But let me ask you, um, Alejandro Mayorkas, if President Biden wins a second term, as you hope he does, should he be the head of the Department of Homeland Security? I mean, you know, that's up to the president. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to start picking or not picking his, his cabinet. And we, let's get through the election first. But okay. I think the main point, though, is this. This is an impeachment proceeding. They're talking about removing him now 
based only on policy issues. And by the way, everything that all the people on the show have said so far, including the senator, only policy disputes. Nothing about uh, treason, bribery, high crimes, or misdemeanors. The actual constitutional standard that's supposed to be the basis for exercising that grave constitutional authority of impeaching someone from office. And it's been the same in the hearing room. Congressman, got to leave it there. Uh, You're on this show quite frequently, and we'll we'll talk to you again soon. Congressman Glenn Ivey, Democrat from the state of Maryland. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yep. Around the table, real quick, what'd you hear from either of the two? Start with Scott. Well, the Democrat gave reality, and Tuberville gave a political stomp to red meat for his people. Let me ask you, let me say one thing real quick. If Biden can shut down the border and we don't need legislation, why didn't Donald Trump, when he was president, shut down the border? He created refugee camps in Mexico. He had catch and release. And he, then, he wanted to debi- then he wanted to bar Muslims from coming to the country, which the Supreme Court said was illegal. Let's bring in the two, the two Trump uh, press secretaries <laughs> responding to that. And then, this and then, chaos that's happening at the border. Sorry, Sean. Go. My twin no, with I was our just same hair. Uh, I, I was just going to say... I was going to say, thank you. Yeah. The, the funny part is both of those policies remain in Mexico and third party asylum were undone by the Biden administration. Day one, they undid the policies yes. of the Trump administration. Is there more that can be given to the president? Sure. But the idea that, that this can't happen, I had Chad uh, Wolf on my podcast and he laid out for me, I don't know, eight, nine things that this administration could do day one right now without any policy changes. Sure. Here's law. Worries, this is a joke. And, and by, by the way, can I make one, one quick point? This is a political yeah, issue for the, the Biden administration. They want to tell... They want to tell their people that they're doing something about it, but they also want to keep the progressive wing by saying, don't worry, it's not really closed. They're having it Here's both the ways. What did you hear in those interviews? Democrats are going to make this problem. It's an intellectual argument that they're making to an emotional response. The people who are on the border are feeling the effects of fentanyl and immigration personally. People in the cities aren't. What did you hear in those interviews? Well, I think the people in the cities are starting to, but also yeah. one of the things the congressman said was more money, more resources. But we know what they want the money and the resources for because Kamala Harris said so. And so did John Kirby from the podium. He said, we need more money to process them, not to send them back, but to let them into American communities where they don't have a right to be. And what's wrong with that? Giving them a path to citizenship. Are you kidding me? It's not the path to citizenship. There you go. No. Please push that. What's wrong with Please a path push to citizenship? That. If we right. have that in place, Sisters we don't have that in place. We've been trying to do it for years. A former Republican president, Ronald Reagan, supported a path to exactly. citizenship. You guys want to talk about this all show? Because we can, but there's a lot more to go. Yeah, because we fight. All right, so from the hill here on the other side of the break, would you take a look at this? This is fascinating, by the way. Not sure what you see here, but we're going to go around the panel real quick coming up after the break. Turns out that Air Force One and Donald Trump's plane just feet away from each other on the tarmac earlier today. So there was the president coming down the steps. And then what happens? Well, look what you see there in the background. So what do you see? And he's one of the wealthiest individuals in the country. A big time Republican donor today, Ken Griffin, dished on if and where he would donate if there's a Trump-Biden rematch, that's when The Hill on News Nation returns. They're still yapping about the border. They, I told you, we could do the whole show on this. another uh, thing. But here on The Hill, did you see this earlier today? Take a look at this video here. So that's President Biden coming down Air Force One. And this is the pool video. The reporters who are with the president driving away. Same tarmac, a few hundred yards away. Air Force One. And Donald Trump's plane on the very same tarmac. What do you see around the table? Hogan. 
I see a very beautiful plane, Trump plane, <laughs> probably the most beautiful plane I've ever seen. That's as close as Trump's ever going to get to Air Force One again. Oh, oh, okay, what do you see? Well, I just think that the Trump world just totally planned that. I mean, it's a beautiful and wonderful marketing piece. I see what democracy, and I see anarchy. Oh, and America's going to pick democracy okay. in November. Thank Spicer, you. what do you see there? <laughs> Well, I, I think if, jo- if the president had used the big boy stairs, he probably would have gotten a better look at Trump's plane, but they have to use the short <laughs> stairs, so I'm not sure Ooh, he actually wait. saw it. Okay. Mm-hmm. A slice of the election. Not potentially. All right. Many voters do not want to see a Trump-Biden rematch in November, including the billionaire hedge fund manager, GOP megadonor Ken Griffin. The CEO from Citadel says he will not be focusing on the presidential race and instead is getting involved in some down-ballot races. Watch. I would probably um, be where I, the prior group said 70% of Americans don't want that matchup. I'm in the 70%. So I've been involved in a number of the Senate races, a number of the House races. I'll be very deeply involved here in Florida and Florida races locally. Just because we can struggle with who our choice of president is doesn't mean that we have to walk away from the field. Is this a blessing or a curse for Republicans? Because what he's saying there is he's telling all his buddies in the Republican donor class, you know what? If it's Trump, don't spend at the top of the ticket. Spend down ballot. Blessing or curse? This is a curse. Let me just jump ahead of you. Go ahead. This is him giving permission to Republicans to split the ticket, to put Biden at the top of the ticket and then use Republicans in the Senate and House. You think that's what it is? I don't think he's saying vote Joe Biden. I I, I don't don't think he's saying vote Joe Biden, but I think he's saying that there's a check against Democrats in the White House. But he also said that that some of the president's Trump's policies were were very, very good and the economy was very good under Trump. So I don't necessarily think it's that. And Knowing kind of the Ken world, I mean, he's been involved in Senate and House races forever. Yeah, he gave a lot of money to Haley. Not a lot of, I mean, not in his world, a lot of yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <My world, laughs> a lot of money to me and you. Um, you know, hey, in January, but I mean, I think that he, I would assume, he's not going to, if he doesn't feel like she's a path to win, he's not going to. What'd you hear there from Ken well, Griffin? Well, if he had come out and said he would support Donald Trump, throw his money, his weight, and everything behind him, these two panelists next to me would say, of course, it's a blessing for us because a CEO and a hedge fund guy comes out and supports Trump. We're for the people. Look, I don't think it matters really all that much at the end of the day. Money does obviously play a huge role in politics. Well, I'm not saying um, it, him specifically matters, but whether or not it's just sort of like a... Uh, no. no. Uh, look, it, 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 they will care ultimately who's at the top of that ticket and, and the policies that person puts in place. And so I'd imagine they get involved in one way or the other. All right, Democrats, go. The... Uh, What's interesting about what uh, Ken said is the struggle for all Republicans who cannot vote for Trump. You have two unpopular candidates, and the real challenge for both parties on Election Day is who's going to mobilize their base better, because that's who's going to yep. win. Who can get the, what, what do they call them, the butts out of the House and right. to, the, to the election, the to the polls? That's yes. a, the, the technical, technical term. That, that too. Yeah. And if they can do that, whoever does that better on these two unpopular candidates mm-hmm. is probably going to win. If, Repo- if Donald Trump could shut up, right. then he would win the election. But Republicans can't really fathom voting for him. Yeah, Sean, come in. Can I just, want, on, I just want to be clear. The two unpopular candidates are, are Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, right? I just want to know those are the two unpopular candidates. I checked that on the top of the ticket. Okay. Donald but, Trump, my but, friend. But, but Donald all, Trump. But it, 
But in all, but in all seriousness, look, <laughs> I've worked at every one of the federal committees, the RNC, the NRCC, the NRSC. They're all sure. struggling to get money. So the idea that Ken, right. Ken Griffin is going to put his money on the two uh, federal committees that help the House and the Senate is fine. There's going to be plenty of money at the top of the ticket. Uh, as Hogan said, I think at the end of the day, all these guys come home because they realize what's at stake. But there's, it's not a bad idea, to be honest with you, that he's spreading it out a little because we need money to look after the House and the Senate. Yeah. Uh, so, great. Uh, That's fine. And he's one person. All right. Still much more ahead here on the Hill, including the American troops that were killed in a drone strike the other day. Today, we heard from the commander in chief what the president said, including his reservations about potentially getting involved in a wider war. The congressman from Texas, member of the House Intelligence Committee, Dan Crenshaw, joins us live on the other side of the break. What he's saying and what he wants to happen when the Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill. So President Biden says he has made his decision about how the U.S. will retaliate after an enemy drone strike killed three American soldiers and injured more than 40. The commander-in-chief says Iran does hold some blame for the attack on a U.S. base in northern Jordan. But he also says he doesn't want a broader war to come about. I do hold responsible in the sense of supplying the weapons to the people of Britain. I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for. That from the Commander-in-Chief on the South Lawn of the White House earlier today. Uh, Around the table, what did you hear there from the President? Hogan? Who's saying we need a wider war in the Middle East? That kind of seems like a red herring to me. The fact is, deterrence is a very good thing to prevent these types of aggressive moves on our people. But sooner or later, deterrence only works when you deter something, and that comes through action. Just him looking at the camera and saying, don't, well, they did, because they don't believe you're going to do anything to them in response. And if he's not going to have some kind of full-throated action, it's going to make us look weak. But this isn't new for him, and it isn't new for him in the administration, because Obama and him did the same thing placated to Iran for now going on 11 years, giving them billions of dollars, releasing all their hostages, not holding them accountable or responsible on a global stage. And now this is the obvious, sad Dangerous result of that, that what, policy. Is that what you heard there, Michael? Or more else? bombs and did more <laughs> drone attacks than President Obama and President Biden. Look, and I think, what happened in Syria? What about the red line in Syria? <laughs> I think Obama was weak in Syria. That's absolutely. We can we can think both things are true, but I think here what we have to be careful of is knowing that the president responds when the president wants to respond on his schedule. Sure. Not, not when I'm not saying he needs to do it today. No, I'm not saying he needs to do but it today. I'm saying, but deterrence needs to be an action, not just words. And that was the difference between this like, administration just and the last. Just weak. We look weak as a country, and I think he looks weak. I do agree. It's not what would you like time. to do? It's a, Sean, Sean's, come in. I hear you, Sean, in my ear. It's like scary. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, Ashley's right. I, no, no, I, the, the right word, Ashley used the right word, weakness. We have had 160 instances of the Houthis striking our interests, our ships. We did nothing. Three U.S. service members are dead. They were directly targeted. This requires a forceful, direct response. This is feckless and weak at its core. Do you not What'd think you he's going to well, respond, though? I, I think there's going to be uh, a retaliation for this. I also think that, here's <laughs> the conservative side to me now, I'm tired of being attacked on the water, Red Sea, 40, 50, 60 attacks, and we're doing these targeted pieces. You know, where I come from, a bully 
only gets put down. You punch when you put a bully down. And as my mother would say, sometimes you just got to take them out behind the barn and beat their you-know-what. And I think we're ready for that. I'm sorry. We are. All right. It's time. Joining us now to discuss uh, possible U.S. retaliation, the congressman from Texas, Dan Crenshaw, member of the House Intelligence Committee as well. Congressman, thanks for being back here on the Hill. We see you live up on Capitol Hill. There was a a closed-door classified briefing for members of the Intelligence Committee, like yourself, this afternoon. What I, You can't obviously talk about all of it. It's classified. But I'm wondering what you learned and if they said Iran was directly responsible. Well, it, it doesn't matter what we heard in that meeting. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what we all already know. Uh, Iran has long been very good at surrogate warfare. We call it unconventional warfare in our military. And that means um, training and equipping surrogates to do your bidding. They've done this all over the Middle East. Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, the Shia-backed militias in Syria and in Iraq. They are responsible for, for doing Iran's bidding. Um, do they, are they always in direct communication? Not necessarily. That's kind of the whole point. Iran creates this infrastructure, this human infrastructure, to attack us, to attack Israel, um, and, then, and, and then they say that they're not to blame. But of course they are to blame because they created it in the first place. And so, and so we can look at this attack and we can say di- Iran is directly or indirectly responsible. It doesn't really matter in the end because what we're talking about is all the same people, whether the Shia, whether the Shia militias or the Iranian Quds forces that back them. And what we need is an actual response. We need a disproportionate response. We always hear about proportionate responses. Okay, does that mean we kill three of them? No, it should not mean that. The enemy should believe that you're going to hit them ten times harder. That's how you get them to actually stop. Well, I don't have a list of targets, and if I did, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say them on TV. If I had the list of targets, that's for the president to decide. But it's a lot more than three. Three of them dead. That's for sure. It's enough to make them not do it again. That's strategically what we're looking for. Now, tactically, I can't tell you exactly what that looks like. I don't have the list of targets that we have as available options in front of me. But it needs to be something that raises eyebrows. Remember when President Trump killed Qasem Soleimani? All right. That was a pretty serious uh, escalation. But what happened? Did we start a war? Did we get into a war with Iran? No, we didn't. In fact, we sent a message that said, you should not mess with us. We're tired of your Quds forces training surrogates to attack our forces. Uh, it was noted earlier, 165 attacks since, since October 7th uh, on our forces throughout the region. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. And you have, to, you have to acknowledge that our response has not created the deterrence that is necessary to create peace. So, so let me ask you, Congressman, the, and, and you bring up Qasem Soleimani, the terrorist who was targeted and killed, and there wasn't a wider war, as you note. Afterwards, We heard President Biden today talk about this idea of, well, he doesn't want a wider war. Could there be a response? Are, are you worried about a wider war? Maybe that's the direct question for you. Are, are you worried at all that any sort of disproportionate response could potentially lead to a wider war, or you don't even think that's a possibility? I, I really don't. I'm, I'm not worried about a, a half-rate power like Iran. I think too many people wring their hands worried about what the Iranians are going to do in retaliation. Why are we worried about the Iranians? You know, if we were talking about China or Russia or some other nuclear-powered state, you might, you might have a different conversation, but we're not talking about that. We're, we're, we're talking about Iran. Um, we've allowed them to kill three of our service members. That's unacceptable, and, and the response needs to be enough so that they, that they don't even think about doing it again because they're so afraid of what the escalation might be. And they should be Congressman. afraid. 
Congressman Crenshaw, we'll leave it there. Thank you for being back here on the Hill out of that House Intelligence Committee briefing. We appreciate the time. Thank you, Congressman. Thanks. Yep. You, well, you two, I think, were agreeing with him throughout yeah, most of that. I think Dan Crenshaw is, or Congressman Crenshaw, rather, is right. I think at the essence of it, Republicans are better at tough talk than Democrats are. We're academic, and you guys understand emotionally talking. But is it messaging or policy? I, I actually think because it's messaging. Because there's part policy there I don't from think him. policy Democrats or Republicans are really that far off. I mean, Democrats criticized the Soleimani strike at first, but when you look at it in its totality, it ended up looking like a really good message to the Middle East. We're academic, you're, you're, too, by the way. <laughs> but is it, is it messaging or policy? No, I think it's policy. I think we've always just been a lot tougher on this. I mean, we remember, though, there is there was a time, especially under Bush and when after Iraq and when everything that was so controversial, that that tough talk became kind of toxic. And then I think, though, it's really, really important. I think the most important thing that he said, the congressman said, was that why are we afraid of Iran? Right. Why are we not showing them what we're made of? And here's an idea. You hit them back twice as hard, right? That's not going to cause a wider war. It may cause diplomatic talks. It may, it may cause them and the region to say, lay off the U.S. or let's have a different approach. Or even the regional uh, uh, countries getting involved with Iran to say enough is enough because you're putting the region at risk. That's an alternative. That's not a wider war. There's PTSD still from mission accomplished. Hey, yeah, Sean, I, well, I, hey Sean, we got to run, but I, just, if you could peel the curtain behind as a former press secretary, what's it like with the options being presented to the commander-in-chief at a time like this? You're sitting in the Situation Room. I was actually in the Situation Room with President Trump when he launched that attack uh, that we're referring to, and, and they're First and foremost, presenting options to them, different targets they can hit, uh, and, the, and the scope of that, how much it might or may not involve civilians, hard targets, so, hard targets, soft targets, soft targets, uh, ammunition, runways, things like that. And then uh, the president makes a decision based on what they consider the collateral damage on each of those COAs, and you go execute from there. So the problem is, this goes back to what Secretary Bob Gates said about Joe Biden. He's been on the wrong side of every foreign policy issue for 40 years. Leave it there, John. Thank you. All right, coming up here on the Hill, we have just reached another level. Have you heard about this? Elon Musk says one of his companies has successfully implanted a chip into the human brain. And Elmo. Yes, Elmo. Have you seen this? The social media post, there's now more than 140 million views all over the world because of a tweet from Elmo and what it says about the mood of our country, the state of our country. Is this the ultimate right track, wrong track poll? What Elmo said and the responses from the Hill on News Nation return as we return. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. First ever human. Now, this is just four months after being cleared for human trials by the FDA. Musk says that the first product will be called telepathy and, quote, enables control of your phone or computer and through them almost any device just by thinking. Initial users will be those who have lost the use of their limbs. Neuralink, Ashley. Um, 
Elon Musk. Well, yeah, as I was saying earlier, everyone you know thought he could never do the electric vehicles. Everyone thought he couldn't take a uh, you know a rocket to space, and he's done both. I never would underestimate this, and I was saying earlier, I'd put a chip in my brain if I had no ability to work my limbs, and that was the only hope I had. So here's what he said. He said uh, this, he said, uh, imagine if Stephen Hawking could communicate faster yeah. than a speed typist or auctioneer. That is the goal. Neuralink brain chips. $10,500 for exams, parts, and labor. It almost yeah. sounds like a, it, like a car it, exam. It really is a fascinating concept. I will say, though, you said he did the electric cars. Yep. But he didn't quite perfect that. I, I'm saying mm-hmm. it's good, but let, let's wait till he perfects something for me to go, yeah. Well, that's what I'm curious about with like, regulation, right? Like, but, we've talked about regulation with AI and where all that goes. This feels this like. Is, yeah, it's, I've put way worse <laughs> in my body, and most college students have. So, like, <laughs> but FDA, but, but the, our Federal and Drug Administration let this move forward. Yeah, they did. Well, yeah, four for, months ago. For, for human testing. Yeah. I worry about if this has that, become. Um, uh, an everyday process at some point, and then they're going to put a chip in our brain so we can read each other's minds. I don't want to read your mind. Even more dangerous. Hey. Yeah. So, oh, just think this about is, the impact. So they're, they're planning to do 11 <laughs> of these like surgeries right now, like, in like, 2024, <laughs> about 500 in 2027. So that's the escalation here. Sean, what do you make of it? Well, I, I took the liberty of DMing Elon and volunteering everyone in the White House press corps to sign up and try this out. <laughs> Uh, I'll do it I if you do CNN it, I put CNN at the top of that list, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Meantime, uh, how is everyone doing? Just that question. How you doing? That is the question that Elmo, the famous member of Sesame Street, asked on social media on, on X, Elon's platform. It was, quote, he said, um, Elmo, Elmo's just checking in. How is everybody doing? That post right there, see it bottom right? It's not 143 million views right now, 152 million views, 10,000 responses. Here were some of the responses. Quote, Elmo, everybody is preparing to vote for two people for president, neither of whom anybody likes. Another person, Elmo, we are all one bad day away from moving in with Oscar. It is bleak out here, bro. Um, You know, we talk about right track, wrong track polling all the time. I suggest you go through this Elmo feed. It really does give you a, mood, a sense of the mood in this country right now. So you want us to read the comments on Twitter? Yeah, go through it. Well, no, I mean, it's fascinating to hear what people are saying. This is why the disconnect, I'm making this political, the disconnect of Joe Biden saying the country's great, the economy's great. If, I read a lot of those comments, and a lot of it, it is about people losing their jobs. People are like, yeah, it's basically like Not being things. able to afford food. I mean, I, I, Even a Muppet knows we've got some problems, right? <laughs> and yet Don't we've got a growing economy. Come on. <laughs> we have an economy that every economic indicator, job growth, um, uh, wage growth, uh, inflation trending downward, and yet America still isn't it, feeling in all fairness. It hasn't gone and down. Yeah. I know I this hug. may be anecdotal. Can I just get a hug? But you know what? That tells me inspirational <laughs> leadership, right? Whether you like a Democrat or a Republican, we're our inspirational leaders that make America feel good about America because America's not all wrong or bad, and we don't have that in the political dialogue right now. Who's going to make America feel great do. again? So when you look at, you look at satisfaction with the way things are going, the last time that we were above 50% in this country, right track, wrong track, essentially, was back in 2004, the low of 7%, of course, when there was the uh, great financial crisis in October 2008. Sean, is this like the real-time right track, wrong track with... with with Elmo on X? Um, I'm not sure I want to go that far. I think it's entertaining. <laughs> um, 
It says All something, right. though. I bet you, well, anyway, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, was like a, that. that was like a Biden answer. I, that was right. yeah. thing. He's like, I'm just not going to trust Elmo. Trust Elmo. All right, Sean Spicer, thank you. We'll see you again in person soon. The rest of you all, thank you. Fun show. Appreciate you. it. Uh, coming up, the government isn't coming after your kitchen after all. How the push to target gas-powered stoves has essentially flamed out. Leland Vitter joins me on the other side of the break. Stay with us. The Hill returns. Special guest, Bill O'Reilly on Cuomo. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill O'Reilly. TV's liveliest, most honest debate. Wait, wait. Cuomo, you're... You talk the whole time. Tomorrow at 8, 7 Central. News Nation has an opportunity. Only on News Nation. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So before we go, the Biden administration is moving its gas stove fight to the back burner, you could say. A new proposal with reduced regulations will now only affect... 3% of all gas stoves and weakens a pre-existing efficiency requirement. It only counts, by the way, for stoves going forward. But despite concessions in the new proposal, Republicans, including Nikki Haley, still expressing some frustrations. Haley going to X, for example, saying, quote, We don't want you taking away our cars, our stoves, our dishwashers, and our freedom. That directed to the President of the United States. Joining me now, Leland Vitter. What's up, buddy? Hey, Good show. Thank you, thank you. Um... This, I think, was a miscalculation from the Biden administration, was it not? I don't think it was a miscalculation. I think it was very planned, and it was a nod to the progressive elite wing of the Democratic Party that views climate change above all else. They're probably looking at some polling that came out from Scott Rasmussen. If you define elites in America as those making over $150,000 a year, postgraduate degree and living in urban areas, i.e. Democratic voters, uh, 70% say they would pay $250 a year or more to help climate change. Two-thirds want to ban gas stoves, 77% strict rationing of gas, meat, and electricity for climate change. When it comes to everybody else, the non-elites, right. those numbers are in the single digits. Or, or, or flipped, yeah. yeah. You look overall, gas stove ban, just this specific issue, 69% of the people polled oppose this. You know issue. who really loves gas stoves? Who? Suburban moms who cook on them. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but we do have one in the Berman household. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I, we moved I, in, I was like, oh, we've got a gas stove. Cool. I never thought, like, oh, it's let's, a collector's yank, item. let's yank the thing out of here. You know, yeah. you, you never know. Uh, speaking of Nikki Haley, Chris Sununu, I know she's, he's pushing yep. for her to the White House, but coming on your show to talk about? He'll be coming on to talk about the border. And then we've got George Will, who was just with Nikki Haley down in South Carolina okay. uh, to talk about the race. All right. Have a good show. Awesome, my friend. Which way are we going here? There we go. We're going to have to work on that. We're going to have to work on that. Did they catch that? Let's just do that. There we go. All right. That's it. Thanks for watching us here on The Hill. Set your DVRs to 6 o'clock Eastern. We'll be back tomorrow. Leland and On Balance starts right now.